I welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen one, the Lord of the church. Please join us in singing song number 277, The Church is One Foundation. And if you are able, please stand. Church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, we worship you today in the hope of being with you someday. And we worship you in the reality of our present struggles today. Thank you for being here now. Amen. In you, Lord, I have taken refuge. Let me never be put to shame. Deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me. me. Come, Come quickly, quickly to my, my rescue. rescue. Be, Be my rock of refuge, a strong fortress to save me. Since you are my rock and my fortress, for the sake of your name, lead and guide me. Keep, Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for, for you are my refuge. Into, into your, your hands, hands I commit my spirit. spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servant. Save me in your unfailing love. You may be seated. strength 
we do want to be lead, led by you, but we confess that we don't always listen. Instead, we listen to lies, lies that say others can lead us, others can define our value, or we walk in fear instead of faith. We confess that we also treat as enemies those who are only different than we are. There are many ways that we don't allow ourselves to be led, and we confess those to you now. We receive your pardon, and we confess your power to reconcile us to you and us to others, and even us within ourselves. And that power is through humility, through self-sacrifice, and through forgiveness. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Again, if you're able, please stand for the next songs. Number 285 in your book, and then we're going to go to 281 and 282 right away. And in... Uh, 
in this first song, In Christ There Is No East or West, we'll have the women and girls on verse 2, and men and boys on verse 3. In Christ there is no east or west, in him no south or north, but one great fellowship of love throughout the whole wide earth. In him shall true hearts everywhere, there I come here yet find his serves my father as a son is surely kin to me. In Christ now meets both east and west, in him meets south and north. All Christly souls are one in him throughout the Jesus, you inspired your first followers to spend a lot of time with each other and to share their resources. We want to be generous with what you've given us to spend so that no one will be in need. Receive our offerings through this church fellowship and multiply their effect for your glory and our good. Amen.
Please be seated. I'll be reading uh, from Acts 7, starting at uh, verse 55. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witness laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. We'll report on Kids Connect that we had running over the winter and was done uh, at spring break. Just to want to thank you all for all your prayers, because um, when we're getting ready to get it started, and I felt that we should, um, Annette and I were talking about this and doing this, it's not something that I was like, yay, I'm all excited to do this. I was kind of nervous about it and didn't know how it was going to go and who was going to show up, if we'd have any kids or not. But God came through more abundantly than I ever expected or imagined. And I know you guys were really praying and interceding every week, especially the, uh, the group that meets for prayer every week. I know they prayed consistently. And thank you so much for that. And continue praying because um, we want to start up again um, this coming October. And that being said, we're also, we have some people that want to continue helping, but we have some people that can't help anymore. So we're going to need quite a few more people. We're going to need a main person for games and for crafts. And I also anticipate there are going to be more kids than there was last time. So um, we're going to need a lot more help. And if you, you know, keep praying about it, and if it's something that you feel that you can help at, um, there's many different ways. You don't have to be running around doing games. You don't have to be leading a story. You can just be there, just um, going alongside with kids and just being their friend. Because one really exciting thing about, we had about 40, we had about 40 kids registered, and every Wednesday we had an average of 35 kids show up. And out of those 35, there was about 17 that had no church that they called their home. And um, so it was really exciting to see a lot of these kids show up that they're not, they're not familiar with a lot of things about God. And um, another really exciting thing was just to see some of these kids. Um, and thank you also, I never even, I never shared that we, I put out the plea for um, money for Bibles. And with that, we bought um, graphic novels, one graphic novel for each family. And then we also got uh, a regular Bible, an Old Testament, a New Testament to give out to each kid. So thank you so much for that. And thank you for your offerings for that. Because when those kids received those Bibles, they were so excited. Um, I'm glad we got to do both because some of these kids aren't very good readers yet. And so when they had the graphic Bible, they can look at those pictures they see a picture speaks a thousand words, right? So they could see us so much there. But also it was nice to get into their hands an actual Bible. And um, Lori Martins, who led the deeper life part, 
she taught the kids, we had a couple times where she taught the kids how to use the Bible. And she said it was so neat to see how excited these kids were to actually hold the Bible and to find these verses that they were memorizing in the Bible. So that was really encouraging to see that. And, um, you know, we hope to continue on next year to get them to underline verses in their Bible that they memorize next year and can um, just continue on some of that. Um, yeah, so if there's any questions that you have, if you feel stirring in your heart that you want to help out next year, um, well, next year it's in October, um, I would love to, I'd love to talk, talk to you. And just keep praying because it is, it is a big ministry in the community. Because afterwards, um, the last night we had the famous car races, and that was a lot of fun to have all the parents come into the church and some of the parents that don't go to church at all, just the joy that they had and talking to me afterwards and just, just being introduced to Jesus was just a wonderful thing. And to even the kids that are in church regularly, just to see their excitement and want to tell other kids, you know, it's, it's such a ministry tool that um, it's exciting to see these kids talk about Jesus. Next, um, in, in October, if you ever want to see what's going on, just pop in and especially seeing these kids worship and their excitement. They loved, they loved the songs and it was so neat to hear them sing. So just, just listen along. It's called Priceless Treasure and that's what our theme was to talk about their, God's priceless treasure. So just enjoy. I am a priceless treasure. God knows me, God hears me, God is my comfort. I am His and there's nothing better. Forgiven and chosen forever.
Good morning. But speaking of children, let's pray to dismiss them to Children's Church. Dear God, we thank you for each and every one of the children of our congregation, as well as that we're at Kids Connect as well. God, we pray a blessing on each of them. Lord, we look forward to seeing how they will grow in you. And now for Children's Church, God, we want to pray also for the teacher. Give them the words to say. Give them the perseverance to say it and help it to be a wonderful time. And we want to pray a blessing on the service today as well. God, we pray that we will see you. Lord, we pray all these things. Amen. All right, Children's Church, down the hall, that way. All right, if you have your bulletins on you, now is the time to pull them out. There is a lot that is going on. And so, let's go ahead and lay them out first. Potluck lunch following the service today. That I suspect that you all know. After all, it smells wonderful in here. Last names A through M. Hey, that's me. Uh, are in charge of setting up, cleaning up. So keep that in mind. I invite you to stay. It is going to be a wonderful time as potlucks in this church always are. Next, tonight, choral music in the church with special guests Bruce Moore. David Cruz is on board for that one as well. This is a reschedule of two months ago when we were going to do it. And now I suspect that it is maybe a little bit of rain, but not much snow going out there. So it's happening. And I am looking forward to it. I hope you can all make it out Next, Tuesday, 7.30, the congregational meeting is happening. The big thing on that docket is elections for spring, uh, so come prepared for that. I would invite everybody, even if you are not a member, to come on out, uh, see how the church is run. It is a valuable part of how the church functions, so I'd invite you to come out for the congregational meeting Tuesday at 7.30. Wednesday prayer meeting at the church at 2 p.m. And then on Thursday, girls Bible study. Sunday next week, Sunday school 945, and it is communion. It is also going to be a sharing service next Sunday. And so I would invite you to come up with ways that God has been working in your life. Bring stories that you can share with the rest of the congregation because when we hear how God is working in each other's lives, that, that is when we can get really fired up for what he is doing. It is also Mother's Day next Sunday, so if your story has to do with that, then bonus points? That's not how we're going to be running this, but next Sunday. Uh, skipping down, congratulations for Matt and Carrie on the birth of their daughter, Adeline Grace, on Wednesday, May 3rd. Uh, I am going to put off anything more until we can actually meet the little one. That is absolutely exciting news. I have been excitedly texting with both of the happy parents, so I'm looking forward to meeting that little one. May 30th, there is going to be a bridal shower for Amber at the church, so make sure to keep that in mind. May 30th, 730. Uh, that will be a wonderful time. Uh, June 2nd and 4th, the EMC Festival uh, is coming up. That was Priorly Conference Council. There's new branding around it, and with that, there's new events that are happening at it as well. And so if you are interested, uh, check that out on their website. That is where it'll list uh, all the different venues as well as where you can register. It's not that far away. Either way, check that out on the website. All right, now things to add in. The first was, as you heard, the school play is going to be this coming Wednesday and Thursday at 6.30. We have two 
aspiring actors that are going to be in it, and so I would encourage you to make it out to see both Isabel and also Sarah. It is called Olympus High. I don't know anything more than that, but I am looking forward to it. 6.30 at the school. Uh, school play, Olympus High, 6.30. Uh, put that on your list of things to do. Uh, glasses. There was a pair of glasses that were found in the parking lot last week. Uh, they are black-rimmed, and they are on the back bulletin board. So if you are missing a pair of glasses, that would be the place to look for those. And... Finally, next weekend at West End, uh, there is going to be a, a pastor from India who is going to be speaking on behalf of, oh, Engage Today, formerly AIM Ministries. And so 7.30 next Sunday at West End, if you're interested in hearing that. Any more announcements? All right. So now for items of prayer. Uh, the first... We want to pray for continued healing for Betty. Uh, she has been moved back to Rostern. She, she is moved back to the hospital there for long-term care. Uh, so she's closer to her family there, but at the same time, she is immobile. And so there is a lot of healing that still needs to happen, but also that she is well enough that they can move her to long-term care and out of emergency and I think even hospice for a little while there in Saskatoon. That is, a lot of healing has happened. We want to pray for continued healing for her as well. Uh, next, we want to pray for the congregational meeting and elections on uh, next Tuesday. Uh, we want to pray that there's lots of wisdom that we can see from God in that meeting and that the elections are such that it sets us up for the years to come in a wonderful way. And final thing on there, uh, I have a doctor's appointment on Thursday in the morning that I was not expecting with my cardiologist. I don't know what it's about. It probably isn't a serious thing just because it uh, is over the phone and I if I know my cardiologist, if it's something bad, he wants to tell it to your face. So we still want to pray for that, though. It's, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little anxious about it. So uh, let's pray for that as well. And please bow with me now in a word of prayer. Dear God, we come before you this morning, first off, in a word of praise. We thank you for the sunshine. We thank you for the warm weather. We thank you for the potluck that is about to come, and we thank you for the wonderful music that is coming this afternoon as well. Lord, everywhere we turn, we can see you at work, and we thank you for every, every place that we can see that. And so, God, we want to put that before you. We want to say thank you Thank you for being our Lord. Thank you for being so hard at work in us and through us. And we look forward to seeing how you continue to work as well. Lord, we want to put that before you this morning. And we also want to say thank you for Betty, that she has moved out of emergency and moved into long-term care. And the healing that had to happen, that that could take place. But at the same time, she is immobile. At the same time, there is serious restrictions that are on her life. And God, we just, we pray for continued healing. We pray for more movement. We pray for 
improvement. And God, we also pray for what happens next. If long-term care gives way to entering the care home there, then God, we pray that that will happen in a way that is life-giving and a way that is encouraging both to Betty and her family as well. But we thank you for how you have been at work so far, and we pray for how you will continue to heal her as well. Lord, that we put before you. And God, we want to, speaking of doctors, pray for this upcoming doctor's appointment on Thursday with my cardiologist. We pray it'll be great news that I want to put before you. Um, it always gets in my nerves a little bit. And God, that, I want to pray for calm in that. And I want to pray that out the far end, there will be good news to share. And Lord, we want to bring before you Tuesday's congregational meeting as well. God, elections are an important time in the life of our church. And so, God, we pray a blessing upon them. We pray that the people that step forward will be absolutely on fire for the roles that they are stepping into. And we pray that those that are stepping back will know how appreciated they were and what they did. God, we look forward to the congregational meeting. We pray a blessing on it. We pray wisdom for it. And we look forward to seeing how your kingdom will be built as a result. God, and finally, we want to pray a thanks for little baby Sawatsky, Adeline Grace. Lord, we want to pray a blessing on her life. We want to pray a blessing on her parents, on Carrie and Matt, that the three of them together will settle into becoming a wonderful family as fast as possible and just that they will savor these moments. But God, we want to say thank you for the birth of this little one. God, all of these things we bring before you this morning and we place them at your feet. In your name we pray, amen. All right. So, last Sunday, when we were looking for what to talk about uh, after Easter, then we, we settled on that we were going to look at the earliest of the early church. We were going to look at the church right after Pentecost. These are the people that knew Jesus either firsthand or knew it from the apostles, so as close as close can be. And what we saw when we looked at the church last week is, is that, boy, oh boy, were they on fire for God. They lived in a way that just, that just embodied that and cemented that and reinforced that. They lived in such a way that they were spending time in preaching and teaching. They lived in such a way that they were with each other in the good times and in the harsh and living in communion with one another. And in prayer and in giving radically to those who needed it. And because they were living in this way, that then grew their relationship with God that caused them to want to live even more in that way. And it was an inspiration. And then we said that this week we were going to talk a little bit about what the results of living in that way were. And so... That is what we are going to do today. And a heads up, I went over this one a number of times, and 
I could never quite figure out how I was going to end it, so it might just end. We're going to find out. But if you have your Bibles on you, if you can turn with me to Acts chapter, really the passage is Acts chapter 7, 55 to 8 verse 1, but we're going to be, we're going to be clipping along. We're actually starting all the way back in Acts chapter 6, because that's where the story of Stephen, the first martyr, really begins in Acts chapter 6. And there what we read is the appointment of the first deacons. The church we read at the beginning of chapter 6 is it was growing rapidly. It multiplied rapidly. And the apostles were the ones that were in charge of everything. The apostles were the ones that were dealing with each one of the things that goes through a church, with the preaching, with the teaching, the administration, and the outreach. And they just found that they couldn't do it all. As a pastor, I'll tell you right now, that is definitely a thing. Each one of those is a full-time job in and of itself. And so you get to a point where other people have to step in and help. And so they appoint the first deacons. They bring forward all of the people that were in the church at that point. And they say, we can't keep doing this. There's just too much to do. And yet this is so important. So pick from yourselves seven people, seven people who are godly, who are wise, who are upright. Pick for yourselves seven people and they will be the ones in charge of those care ministries. They will be the ones in charge of making sure the food gets to those that are hungry, that the widows and the orphans are cared for. And the people that are down and out are given a voice. They will be in charge of that. Pick for yourself seven deacons. And so they do. And this is where we meet Stephen. And Stephen is godly, and Stephen is upright, and in the Holy, the Holy Spirit is full with him, and he is wise, and they describe him like that a number of different times. And the church, as a result of this appointment of deacons, continues to grow. And then we are told, as we move on into verse 8 now, that Stephen is... Well, he is truly a gifted man when it comes to being a deacon, so much so that he performs amazing miracles and signs in front of the people in the work that he does in that deacon role, in the caring, in the giving out of food, in the caring for those that are down and out. As a deacon, it is so amazing, the work that he's doing, that there is just signs and miracles. And because of that fruit that he is bearing, because of the fruit that pours out from him as he lives and as he serves in this way, we are told that some people really have a problem with him. We aren't really told what the problem that they have with him is, but we are told that they have a problem with his ministry, and because he is a deacon, you can assume it has something to do with that. For as long as there have been people that have cared for the poor and the down and out, there have also been people that wondered why we have to do the same ourselves. So that shouldn't come by too much of a surprise. But 
What we do see of these people that have issues with Stephen is, is that we like to think maybe they were outsiders that didn't care one way or the other. But that's not the situation. They are fellow Jews. This is a time before the church and Judaism split into two different portions. Like Christianity is a branch of Jewish belief at this point. So these people that have issues with Stephen, these are his family in the bigger sense. These are fellow chosen people of God, and they are people that should know Stephen living in this way that bears this fruit, that is how you are supposed to live as a person of God, but yet, yet there's always the pushback. And so what do they do? Well, they try to come up with a way of taking him down, and they can't quite find anything because Stephen is upright, because Stephen is godly, he is wise. They can't find something to fault him on. So they come up with something. They make it up, materialize it. And the thing that they come up with is a weird one because you would think that somebody that preaches the word of God with grace and power, somebody that lives God's teaching to the extent that Stephen does, you think they would come up with a charge other than blasphemy. But we thought the same thing about Jesus. And that was the charge they leveled against him as well. And so, Stephen is hauled off to court. And while he is there, he has truly the most odd defense that you can ever find for if you were charged with blasphemy. He decides that he is going to go through the entirety of Scripture. And that, that part makes sense, right? If you're trying to defend that I did not do a blasphemy, then you, you go back to Scripture. But what is interesting is that then after this long and wonderful retelling of Scripture about Moses and Abraham and all of these people that God spoke through to the people, he suddenly does a 180 and is like, but you people... My brothers and sisters, you people that know, that should know better, every time God spoke to you, what did you do? You turned your head. You buried your face in the sand. You killed the prophets that God sent for you. And that thing can be seen that clearer than the fact that Jesus Christ, the greatest prophet that God has ever sent, you put him to death. And that's when our passage begins this morning. And knowing all of that, it begins on an absolutely wonderful line. The people of the court are so angry that they are gnashing their teeth. How angry do you have to be to gnash your teeth? That is how angry that they are with Stephen but they are a court, which means that they can't just simply vote to put the guy, they can't simply just put Stephen to death, they need to vote on that first. It's always important that you have that vote. I suspect that we know which way it's going to go if the entirety of the court is gnashing their teeth because they dislike you so much, but in that moment, a miracle takes place. It kind of makes the whole thing neither here nor there. For we read that heaven itself opens up and Stephen looks to the sky and sees the glory of God. 
And there is Jesus standing at God's right hand. I think we often think about Jesus sitting beside God, but here standing in all the authority that we can see in that. And it is breathtaking, and so Stephen can't help himself. He just, it pours from him what he is seeing. I see the Son of Man there beside God. And if the people of the court were not upset with him before, well now, they rush him, they grab him, and they haul him out. To say Jesus is the Son of Man is to claim that he is divine. To say that he is the Son of Man at God's right hand is to say that Jesus is the one that has absolute authority over top of this court even. And that, that they cannot stand for. And so as they rush him out to the gate, he prays. And as they pelt him with stones, he calls out just as our Lord does. Don't hold this against them because they do not know what they do. And finally, he falls asleep. A euphemism for when he passed away. One day to awake in the arms of our Lord in paradise to come. And there we shall one day see him as well. All the while, a young man stood by, approving so vigorously of this killing that he even held the coats of those that threw the stones. But his is a story for a different day. The word of the Lord. What I hope to talk about today is the ways that the way that the early church lived, how, what happened as a result of that. And from this passage, I think there are two pretty big things that we can take out of it. And here, when I say this passage, I mean from 6 all the way to 8.1. And the first, the first is this. I'm betting everybody's heard this story before or come across it in their own reading. And probably when you've heard this story before, what you heard that its takeaway was was something along the lines of, as a Christian, what that means is that one of the hallmarks of being a Christian is, is that we will know persecution. That, that's what comes. It's a hallmark of Christianity, persecution. That was what I was taught in camp. That was what I was taught by Adventures in Odyssey. They have a terrifying episode on this story that sticks with you. But that, that telling, that saying that one of the hallmarks of Christianity is persecution, that is, that is saying something that is vague enough as to be not altogether true. Worse than that, it is vague enough, saying it just like that, as to be actively damaging to our faith, to the church, to those around us. And we can see that. I, 
we live in a country today, uh, we don't really know persecution as the church. I mean, we'll come up with thoughts here and there. This is clearly persecution. But, like, I have friends in Myanmar that, like, family members straight out have been disappeared because they were serving God. I have friends that were in Cambodia whose family were murdered in front of them because they were living as Christians. Persecution of, of Christians and the kingdom that we look to build, it's alive and well, and it happens at a rate that is probably more than ever before because there's more people than ever before. But it mostly happens elsewhere, and if we want to compare what we're going through to them, like that's doing a disservice to them. Most of what we think of persecution just boils down to being inconvenienced or other people trying to make a spot for themselves and to put that next to that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's healthy to do. But because we don't come across persecution in our country like a lot of other places do, that, that message Nevertheless, that a hallmark of Christianity is that we will know persecution. That does some things to you, you know? Like, it does a couple terrible things. The first is because if that is true, if one of the hallmarks of Christianity is that you will know persecution and then you don't, well, what does that encourage you to do if you're just living in such a way that the fruit is being coming from what you're doing, but you're not getting persecuted? Like, it, it encourages you to double down a little bit, doesn't it? It encourages you to become obnoxious. Here's a story of how Russell used to be the worst when he was younger. Um, I remember one time in Sunday school... My Sunday school was very big that, you know, you invite your non-Christian friends to Sunday school. And that was, that was fine and all. But how I decided to internalize that was, well, who needs to come to Sunday school more than this kid that was bullying me at the time? So I walked right up to him one day before school started at the beginning recess. And I looked him in the eye and was like, Siggy, you're going to hell. And... My arm hurt for a good week after that. And don't get me wrong, like, that wasn't the right thing for him to do. Don't hit people. Don't be a bully. But also, that isn't the story of a good guy and his bully. That's the story of a bully and another person trying to bully him. Right? Like, he didn't come to church after that. There was no fruit to be born after that. But that's kind of what happens when we say that persecution is one of the hallmarks of Christianity. It encourages us to act in a way that there is pushback. It encourages us to act in a way where we think we are being persecuted when in reality we're just bullying other people and then when they push back, we can't take it. 
Which leads to the other big problem with saying that, that persecution is a hallmark of Christianity. And that is that then when society around us says things that are, as we would take a pushback on our faith, that do directly reference our faith, then we're sure the fact that they are pushing back in that way is us witnessing persecution. And now, here's a different story that I share with permission. A really good friend of mine, uh, he, he's gay, and he grew up in the church. And when he was growing up, my, my goodness, he was, like, he knew his sword drills inside and out. He knew his... Bible better than anyone. He was the one that raised his hands when he sung. I didn't come from a church that did that, so that was the epitome of holiness right there. But he was the one on fire for the Lord until we became teenagers, and he realized that he wasn't like the other kids. When I was in youth group, that was right at a period of time where one of the big focuses was on sexuality and purity, and this was the great gift that God has made for all of us, that one day you'll get married and have kids and it'll be wonderful, and that is just a part of who you are, and that is a wonderful part of how God made you, and it was an identity thing, right? Like, to go on and to do that, that was a sign that you were a good Christian. And, and that, like, put yourself in his shoes, right? Like, you're told that this is what a right person with God is, and you are not that. And you try to be that, and you try to be that, and yet you just can't. Like, it doesn't change. And then a different thing happened later on when my time in Sundays, like in youth group. That was right around the time when gay marriage became legalized in Canada. And so that was also right when that was the only thing we talked about in youth, like for an entire year. And... If you pray hard enough, God will change you, and then didn't. And then as that conversation went on, as conversations often go, they become less and less nuanced, and to the point where gay people burn in hell. Like, that got told to him. And that, that messed him up. That, that messed him up. He left the church, left the faith entirely, pretty staunch atheist, and I can always, I can always remember, I'm old enough that I can remember, I, like, I say that I can remember when Facebook was a place you could have civil arguments about things. I don't think that was true, but I remember things with rose-colored glasses. And he one time said that the church shouldn't be allowed to, like, declare to everyone around them that if this is who you are, then you are broken, that you are not right, that you are 
going to burn in hell. They shouldn't be allowed to announce that to everyone around because like that, that hurts. And line after line after line of respondents, how they answered that one just was, why are you persecuting me by telling me what I can't say? This is the story of my friend being bullied. Then when he pushed back even a little bit, the answer was the church telling him that he was persecuting them because of it. That's one of the problems with saying that the hallmark of Christianity is persecution, though, right? Like, when there is pushback, what it encourages you to do is not to look at what the other person is going through that makes them say that. It, it just encourages you to cry foul and say that clearly I am doing the Lord's work and to double down. And that hurts people so bad. And what's more, it's like not even a good reading of the Bible. It's not a good reading of this story at all, because why is it that we see persecution in this story, right? Like, why is it that he is persecuted? Is it because he is a Christian and that, that's why? No, it's because he is living in such a way that the fruit of the Spirit, it pours out of him. And that is what people are having issues with. You can rightfully point me to many places in the Bible where there are people of God, where there are Christians, and they are persecuted. But in every last one of those, it isn't that they're persecuted because they're Christians. It's not because they're persecuted because they're people of God. It's they're persecuted because they're living in such a way that in everything that they do, the fruit of the Spirit is pouring forth, and that is what people have issues with. And that is a distinction that is night and day. That is a distinction that is so important for us to get, and yet all too often we miss it, right? Like, because it's one thing to live in such a way that the poor are risen. It's one thing to live in such a way that those that need food are fed and the widows are cared for and the kingdom is built and there will always be people that have issues with that because that is something that pushes against people that benefit from the way that things are. There are people that don't want to see that come to play because either it's going to make life more expensive for them or just sits wrong and to be persecuted for living as a Christian, that does happen, it does, but that is a fundamentally different thing than saying that you will be persecuted just because you are a Christian. Because if you say that latter one, it just, it doesn't bear fruit, right? The Bible talks an awful lot about what the hallmarks of being a Christian are, and every time it does, that is the hallmark. The hallmark is that you will live in a way that bears the fruit of the Spirit. And that comes with consequences too. 
But that's the first thing that we should take from the story of Stephen. That it is a story where we see the early church meet persecution, but they don't meet it just because they are the early church. There is plenty of different organ like religions that are going around that the Jewish people have a big issue with, and none of them got persecuted. The difference is that the Christians are living in a way that fundamentally upends everything for the sake of our Lord. The second thing that we should take from this passage as far as what the results were of the early church living in that on-fire way that they did has to do with who it is that's actually doing the persecution. I think when we read this passage, we're kind of tempted to say that the people that are doing the persecution, they're, they're, they're outsiders that don't know Christianity one way or from the other. But that's not the situation at all. This is a time, as I said, that Christianity and Judaism haven't split yet. These are brothers. These are the people that should know better. That's the whole point of Stephen's tirade that got him in trouble when he told off the people of the court. You are the people that are the chosen of God. You should know better. And they're so angry with how Stephen is acting as a deacon that they put him to death for it for preaching the truth and doing and living the truth that they should know. I think we often like to say that when persecution comes, it comes from people that are outside of the church, but that's just not what history has borne out. Does it happen? Absolutely. Not too long after this, Rome is one example of it, but the vast majority of Christian history The people that push back on those who are on fire for the Lord and are living out everything that he teaches them have been other people in the church. This story isn't the story of some outside power that picks an issue with Stephen because he's preaching the gospel. This story is a story of, say, people from this side being absolutely on fire for the Lord and people on this side wanting to kill them for it. That's what this story is. And that's one of the results also of living in that way that the early church did, of living in that way that is absolutely on fire for the Lord. The pushback that comes from that, the pushback that is so hard to take, it doesn't usually come from outside our walls. It comes from the fact that for whatever reason, as people of faith, we often just like to be crabs in a bucket. If you've never heard that term before, if you put one crab in a bucket, it can crawl out real easy. However, you put three crabs in a bucket, then the other two that are in there will just keep on dragging the one that's trying to crawl in back in. Great song, though. That's the other thing that we can take from our passage today. To be a person of faith, to be on fire in the way that the early church is, that will meet with resistance because living out the fruits of the Spirit in that way that build the kingdom around us always meets with resistance, but more often than not, that resistance will come 
from people that need to know better. And so we come to the part that I could never quite figure out how to end. But what I want to say is something along these lines. Here are the takeaways of what it is to live like the early church and what we can expect to see as a result. The first is this. Don't focus on persecution when you are trying to figure out how it is that you are supposed to live. That shouldn't be your guide for whether or not you are doing a good job. What should be a guide for whether or not you are doing a good job is are the fruits of the Spirit born through what you are doing? Is the kingdom being built through what you are doing? Are the poor being given food? Are the widows and orphans being cared for? Is the gospel message being preached and taught? Is the church going on in administration? Are the people around you getting what they need? Is the outreach there? Are the different aspects of what it means to live as the church, to live as a Christian, are they being met? And as a result, is the kingdom flourishing? That is what it means to be a Christian, and that should be the only thing that you care about. Is your relationship with God and your fellow man and the world around you growing? That is when you know you are living as the Bible, as our Lord teaches you. Will that meet with pushback? Sometimes, yes. But even if it doesn't, that you are bearing the fruits of the Spirit means you are living as you ought to be. And the second, don't be a crab in a bucket. I think often when people find whatever it is that they need to with their relationship with the Lord where they're just absolutely lit on fire for him. There is this temptation to take them down a notch, right? Like to figure out how they're wrong. And like that's not how we should do it. Even if the thing that is lighting them on fire is something that's not quite right, like run with them. Try to find that spark in yourself as well, and then together you can head in the direction that you ought to, but don't be like the brothers of Stephen that were so outraged that he was building the kingdom that they came up with something to put him to rest. That isn't how we're called to live. That doesn't do anything except for make the church into a place that no one wants to be. A place of negativity, a place of squelching the Lord at work. Those are the things that I want to take from this passage. Those are the things that we ought to take when we look at the results of living as the early church, living absolutely on fire for the Lord. 
And so as we go forth today, let's live in a way that builds the kingdom, that the fruits of the Spirit can be seen. And let's, with everything we are, enable and then join the people that God is leading the clearest. Amen. Thank you, Russell. And yes, we are in this together, bound together by that Holy Spirit who produces fruit in our lives. So let's sing 286, Blessed Be the Tie That Binds. Once again, I'd like to invite you all to stay for the potluck. I'm looking forward to it. But for our benediction, we turn to the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his face and give you his peace. Go now and serve our Lord. When we asunder part, it gives us inward pain, but we shall still be joined in heart and hope to meet.